Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Goodham and Pastor Brett Bowe continue their discussion on the first commandment on the sin of idolatry. Welcome to Being Lutheran. I am Pastor Brett Bowe, and I have across from me Pastor... Jason Goodham. Good to see you again, Brett. Yes, you as well. It's It hasn't been a long time. It has it, not been right. a very long time, yeah. no. <laughs> Last episode, we said it's been a number of weeks that we have, haven't have recorded. Yeah, and now it's been roughly five and a half minutes. All right, awesome. Well, how are you doing now? I'm, <laughs> I'm even better now than I was the last episode. Good, good. Well... Well, let's recap that episode as we go into this one, because they are related, the last episode in this one. And last time we talked about what the first commandment prohibits, and that's idolatry. And we talked about the nature of idolatry as Jesus presents it to us in the parable of the rich fool from Luke 12. Uh, We saw a couple of things. We saw how the most insignificant of sins, according to the Ten Commandments, Mm -hmm. the sin of coveting, is really the sin of idolatry. That flows into the whole theology that any sin really is idolatry because we're deposing God from his throne and making ourselves uh, to be God in his place. Uh, We talked about the nature of trusting in our possessions and things like that. We we called uh, idolatry really functional atheism, Mm -hmm. where we are not believing something that is true and we're believing a lie, which is to believe nothing at all. Mm Mm-hmm. And so today we're going to do the flip side of that coin, the positive side uh, of the uh, first commandment. And we're going to be talking about the nature of faith, to trust in God. Yeah. So when God brings conviction of sin, when he puts his finger on the idolatry in our hearts, it hurts. And even as he rips it from us, as we continue to uh, grow in contrition, as God works that uh, through the law, the function of the law in our lives, he doesn't just leave us there hurting or, or he leaves us he doesn't leave us with emptiness but he gives us something and so that is faith. And so what passage of scripture are we going to be looking at here? We're going to be looking at Romans 4 uh verses 1 through 12 and I think at the outset what we want to note here is that the Bible speaks about faith in a variety of different ways. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is going to be a Bible study on faith, but it's not going to be a, a total systematic unpacking of mm-hmm. the nature of faith. So just very briefly, uh, the Bible talks about the content of our faith. And when you see passages, especially in the epistles, uh, Paul is really good at talking about the faith, the faith that was passed on, the faith we pass on to others uh, faith in that is the content of what we believe. The this the you know the gospel, Jesus dying on the cross, rising again, mm-hmm. uh, and, and all of the content. That would be the nature of the confessions and the creeds themselves. Uh, there is saving faith mm-hmm. uh, that uh, we are given uh, when we hear the gospel. The Holy Spirit causes us to believe and to receive the promises of the gospel. And then there's sustaining faith Mm -hmm. where we learn as people of faith, as Christians, as disciples of Jesus Christ, to trust him more. Uh, That's the constant sanctification battle Mm -hmm. of putting to death the sinful nature and letting the new nature live. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and that's a wonderful way to flesh it out here for us. And it's not a generic faith. Like people say, well, you just have got to have to have faith. That is an improper statement. That sentence makes no sense whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Hashtag faith. Yeah. 
Well, and you know, we, we think about faith as a substance that ebbs and flows. Uh, I think part of the nature of faith in American Christianity is uh, a sort of valuation of our relationship with God. We, we kind of have this, what I call the sliding scale of morality, so that if someone walks up to you and you say, how's your relationship with Jesus mm-hmm. doing? You'd be giving them an assessment of your faith right at that moment. And uh, we don't want it to be that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want saving faith to be based on the objectivity of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And we want sustaining faith also to be based on the objectivity of the gospel as mm-hmm. we learn to live in our justification. And Luther, uh, in the large catechism, you know, we've talked about this already, talks about how sanctification, how living out our Christian lives is nothing more than to return to the cross to regularly, mm-hmm. daily find forgiveness for our sins. Mm-hmm. That's excellent. That, and I think that's helpful for people to understand that because, you know, people are often asking, you know, I, I want to have strong faith or how can I strengthen my faith? And and perhaps they're they're looking too much inward. Yeah, it's we want to make ourselves the measure of our faith. We want to be about us. The, the nature of idolatry, which is, you know, what we're pulling out of here, is that we are addicted to ourselves. We always want it to be about us, even when we don't want it to be about us. And that's the danger, this is why we study the Word of God, this is why mm-hmm. we study uh, the catechisms and the confessions, is because God in law and gospel and the teaching of his Word is beating our addiction to ourselves out of us with the law and then replacing that vacuum mm-hmm. with his gospel, with mm-hmm. his presence in our lives, and so on and so forth. Right, right. Well, should we read the text here? Yep, be my guest. Uh, Romans Romans 4, and uh, we'll look at verses 1 through 12 here and read this in Jesus' name. Almost ha- Maybe you should stand, listener, <laughs> except unless you're driving in your car, maybe you shouldn't. We'll but... have the organist ready, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Romans 4. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is a man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but also who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Here ends the reading. Amen. Uh, I love Romans. It's a quick, yeah. funny story. Uh, in the classes that I'm taking, they're, most of them are geared towards preaching and teaching. That's what the program I'm in. Uh, and I was taking an Isaiah class a couple of years ago. And uh, I have this 
tendency to just always go back to Romans mm-hmm. um, because there's so many good just singular verses that make sense apart from the whole context of Romans. I shouldn't even say that really. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, the end assignments of all these classes are you have to turn in a couple sermons on texts from the class to be evaluated by the instructor. And one of my Isaiah uh, sermons, the professor comes back to me and said, stop preaching about Romans. <laughs> be in your text. So yeah, my home is Romans. I love that we're going to spend some time in there today. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah, Romans, I think it would be my favorite book of the Bible as well. And so, so what's going on in this text that's before us? Abraham and... Well, this is, I mean, this is really where we... St- see the dawn of Lutheran history. This mm-hmm. is the uh, Romans 1 was the turning point for Luther. Mm-hmm. Uh, Romans 1 uh, was quoting uh, from Habakkuk 2.4, that the righteous shall live by faith. And that's where Luther discovered the gospel. Uh, and so uh, Luther thought it was the righteousness that Jesus demands mm-hmm. uh, and came to learn that it was the righteousness that we receive by faith from Jesus, that his righteousness is our righteousness. And so now this is the application. Uh, Paul in Romans spends really the first three chapters talking about sin, talking about the depth of our sin, the awfulness of our sin. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then right at the end, tail end of uh, Romans 3, starting in verse 21, he starts to talk about justification, about how we are actually right with God, that he declares us righteous in justification. And so now he's unpacking faith. What does this mean? If God is doing this, what does this mean for our faith? And that's kind of the the, the thread weaving through the whole train of thought of Romans so far up mm-hmm. to this point in chapter 4. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, laying out, uh, really crushing the idea that it's by works that we might be saved. Yeah, you have a, actually a, a double negation here by Paul, not to make a positive, but it, it's not by works, which is the whole circumcision argument here, the obedience argument. It's also not by genetics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's woven into here too. Uh, you, mm-hmm. you, we would remember Jesus uh, and John mm-hmm. fighting with the Pharisees. Well, don't say that we are Abraham's children, for I tell you, God can raise up children for Abraham from these stones. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of what's going on here. Uh, if we are to be people of faith, it is because we are believing uh, mm-hmm. in this salvation that God freely offers. We are receiving this gift. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what Romans 4 really is putting together for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and so the promise of God is laid out before us, and as Abraham is an example, in a sense, for us, or he is our you know, father, as I don't want to get off on singing the children's song there, but uh, <laughs> thinking of Abraham as that, that example of he heard the promise of God and he did not work, but believed. And as it says here, that was credited to him or counted to him as righteousness. You know, we were talking about treasures last time, thinking of the, his bank account was automatically, you know, his spiritual bank account was credited uh, by the promises of God. Yeah. It's, you know, this is kind of Paul's little mini sermon on Genesis fifteen six, mm-hmm. And, you know, we're kind of in the church today, and, and throughout the ages, asking ourselves, what is it that made Abraham a Christian? And that sounds like a weird sentence to say, well, Abraham mm-hmm. was a Jew, like the first Jew. You know, you, you get Hebrew uh, from one of Abraham's ancestors, Eber, mm-hmm. 
and Abraham's kind of like the preeminent Jew in all of Scripture in, in, until from a Christian perspective, you get to Jesus, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what we're really looking at is what made Abraham a person of faith, what made him mm-hmm. a Christian, and it was the fact that he believed and trusted in God's promises. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was something outside of him that saved him. Yeah, it was God's declaration that uh, God declared that Abraham was righteous. It wasn't a work. It wasn't an obedience. And there is a place for Abraham to be commended for trusting in God, for being obeying to God. Mm -hmm. That place is entirely outside the realm of justification. Mm -hmm. Uh, that place is to be an example for us, mm-hmm. which, you know, we would see the examples laid out of the, the hall of faith mm-hmm. from Hebrews 11 right. uh, for people trusting in God through tough circumstances and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. But as long as we're talking about vertical righteousness, as long as we're talking about saving how faith. saving mm-hmm. faith, how we are right with God, how we are righteous before God, that's all the work of God. Mm-hmm. Hallelujah. And amen, right? And and the fascinating thing about this is that as Lutherans, we confess that faith is also the gift of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would go to the third article of the creed uh, in the small catechism. I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe, but that the Holy Spirit has called me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so God makes these promises to us. He justifies us on account of Jesus Christ on the cross mm-hmm. in our place. And then he grants us the faith to believe that, to receive mm-hmm. that. And so you have a passage like Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, uh, by grace we have been saved through faith, and this is not our own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Mm-hmm. And the way that sentence is worded in the original Greek language is that the gift of God is both the grace we receive and the faith to receive it. Mm-hmm. And yep. th- th- that is modified by both of those words, and that is crucial. Yeah, because our tendency is to say we believed, or it, to put the emphasis on the idea that it was something I did, even if it was 1% or 2%. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, even the, the belief is a gift as well. And we don't want to confess that faith is our contribution or our work. Mm-hmm. The Bible tells us we're not saved by works. If faith is something we do, then we're not saved by faith and we run into a huge problem. This is, if we're going to be really relevant here, mm-hmm. this is the caution, the alarm, the warning with what is called decision theology. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have uh, manipulation to bring someone to an emotional decision, what you're trying to do is produce something in themselves that they themselves can't produce. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so at the same time, we want to make it clear that it is entirely appropriate at times, especially for people who have been crushed by the law, to invite them to believe, mm-hmm. to make that, you know, make it available to them. Uh, what we would say is that the preaching of the gospel, the pronouncement of the forgiveness of sins mm-hmm. is what creates the faith to believe it. That's what Romans ten seventeen is saying in concluding that progression where faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God, is that this faith must be preached into our hearts by the Holy Spirit through the word of God. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. That, there's a lot to talk about there, but oh. <laughs> um, I think you, you did a great job of summarizing that. Um, is there anything that you want to talk about in this text before we move to the next about... Maybe we should talk about this text just a little bit yeah, more, but sure. you know, it's. Uh, yep. I, I think the crucial thing for me uh, in this whole text, the hinge 
that it swings on is verse 10. How then was it counted to him, referring to Abraham? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he had been circumcised. And that verse Mm -hmm. is your key to understanding really the next eight or so chapters in Romans uh, because it eliminates our work as a possibility for Mm -hmm. taking credit, even, like you said, that little 1%. Mm -hmm. uh, And uh, we want to be glorifying God. We want to be trusting in God uh, rather than in ourselves. And, um, you know, I sit here and I study Romans 4, and it's funny, when I study other passages, all these Roman passages mm-hmm. come flooding into my mind. When I'm studying Romans, all these other passages from Scripture come flooding into my head, and there's so much going on. Uh, you know, you, you want to take a, just a, a stop in awe of the consistency of the message of Scripture. Mm-hmm. You're a systematician. I am a systematician. Yes. I've repented, and still nothing has changed. So That's okay. <laughs> we, we like you as a systematician. Well, that's good. <laughs> well, as we wind down in this passage, I want to go to that last verse that in this text, in verse 12, that talks about the idea that though, listener, you may not be an Israelite. I don't know. Have you ever even met? An yeah, actual, I know a couple you, actual okay, yeah. Jew, Jewish, Jewish Christians, Jewish ethnic Christians, Jews. Sure, yeah. ethnic, ethnic, you may not be an ethnic Jewish person, but by faith, uh, you are a son of Abraham. Uh, like it says there, it, but those who walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. And this is a major argument in the book of Romans to understand the context. Paul is really making clear here. Remember, Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. And during Paul's time in the early church, this was a big argument in the church. Uh, Should you become Jewish before you become a Christian? Uh, What are you bound to? Mm -hmm. And and the distinction he makes, which really comes out well in uh, Romans 9, is uh, are you an ethnic Israelite? Mm-hmm. There's nothing to separate the salvation of ethnic Jews from ethnic Norwegians mm-hmm. and ethnic Germans and barbarians and Scythians and so on and so forth. Uh, by heritage of faith, insofar as you are a child of God, you also are an Israelite as the Israelites were the children of God. And that's what mm-hmm. verse 12 is saying Uh, that Abraham is our father in the faith, that we are justified by faith in exactly the same way Abraham Mm -hmm. was justified. And so you look at Abraham's life, which is what Paul is really inviting us to do here in these middle chapters of Romans, and how could Abraham have trusted in the promise? Well, God has been making the promise since the fall in the Garden of Eden. Uh, Genesis 3.15, the offspring of the woman. Mm -hmm. And uh, Luther has an amazing theology So if you have a chance to read Luther's commentaries on Genesis, you really get the sense of this building to Abraham. And then where really you get a sense of what this is talking about here in Romans 4 is Genesis 22. Uh, And Abraham binding Isaac for the sacrifice, Mm -hmm. going up to Mount Moriah, uh, God calling to him, take your son, your only son, whom you love. And then Abraham's great confession, this has always struck me. Uh, God himself will provide a lamb for the slaughter. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe firmly that Abraham wasn't talking about a ram caught in a thicket, mm-hmm. that he understood that God was going to be providing a savior mm-hmm. based on what God had been preaching in the Old Testament. And so you are, as a Christian, believing that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, having exactly the same faith that Abraham had mm-hmm. some 
you know, millennia ago. Uh, and the, the application of this is what Paul writes to the Galatians in Galatians 3.29. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah. That, thank you so much. That was excellent, the way you tied it up there. And as we reflect on the first commandment, this is what God is giving us in place of idolatry. Oh. And uh, how how refreshing, how good, uh, how gracious a gift this is from God. So much to celebrate in that. Mm-hmm. The, the absolute depravity we have when we look inside ourselves and try to trust in ourselves mm-hmm. and just continually to fail. There's no assurance. There's no peace. There's nothing. And then the the... the the absolute application of the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. The truth is, but you do have a God. Mm-hmm. It's this God, Yahweh, this God who happened to step into your sinful flesh, who happened to take your place on the cross, who happened to conquer your enemies mm-hmm. where you had been defeated and who now lives and reigns mm-hmm. in heaven for all eternity. That's amazing. Yeah, right. Any closing comments as we wrap up today's episode? No, I think that just about does it for Romans 4 at least. All right. Thank you for listening and uh, God be praised for his gracious gift to us. Amen. Hi, and thank you for joining us on Being Lutheran. Please check us out on the web at beinglutheran.com. Join us for our next episode as Pastor Jason and Pastor Brett discuss the second commandment.